We are talking about uh, Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, we spent time in Matthew 24 last time uh, that we were together, and we are talking about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, Jesus told his disciples that he would come back. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that last Sunday together. And we recognized that his return would be visible for all to see. Jesus would come, he said, on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. On that day, today or some future day, could be today, we don't know. But on that day, the angels will gather Christ's followers from the ends of the earth. They, these, this will be a grand and glorious day, where, and that's a great truth for us to bank our future on. But what, what do we mean by, uh, what does that mean for our lives today? What does that mean for this moment? How does the reality of the return of Jesus affect us in the way that we live, how we feel, how we think right now? You know, some of those answers are in this passage for us as we look at the last part of 24 and all of 25. Jesus tells parables stories. Uh, we noticed that earlier. He told a lot of things about understanding his kingdom. And now he's telling these stories to try to help us understand the impact of his return. Uh, these parables and stories help us understand how we should live in light of his coming. So the second coming, whether you believed it or not, the second coming is not a theo theoretical doctrine. It's not just something you read about and, and hope for. The second coming is a very practical doctrine in the Bible. Uh, it had a very practical perspective that he wants us to have. Now, I talked to you last time about kind of the hinge verses of this section. Uh, the hinge verses is 42, 36 to 42 of 24. What that means is it, it impacts our understanding of what we looked at before, and it certainly impacts what we're getting ready to talk about. So 24, 36 says about that day. Uh, that's the way the Bible loves to talk about the return of Jesus. Um, there was, um, in the Old Testament, they would talk often about the day of the Lord, uh, that return of Christ. The New Testament, that day. About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. It was... Is in the, as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they, were, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be walking in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other away. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. This section uh, has uh, four different parts. Uh, he's talking right after this verse about readiness. And he talks, uh, Jesus gives this illustration of the master uh, and the faithful servant who is anticipating the coming of his master. Matthew 25, 1 to 13 is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins or bridesmaids. Uh, this picture of the wedding and talking about readiness. Five that were ready and five that were not ready. Uh, Matthew 25. 
25, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents, how we use those gifts that God is giving us once again, thinking about readiness and use of the gifts and talents as stewards of what God has given us. And finally, 25, 31 to 46, judgment of the nations and these final words that Jesus gives to us. Really, these are his last words leading up to the time of the cross. Where we'll go from here is really the centerpiece of reason, the reason that Jesus came as we look at the passion of the Christ and the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension uh, of Jesus. So here's how we're going to talk about this today. We're basically talking about three things, principles, questions, and destinations. Um, instead of kind of breaking down each one of these stories, I just want to give you an overview of the principles that rise up out of the second coming. Now, sometimes you might hear people preach about the second coming. Maybe you've been to a church like that or known a pastor like that. Maybe they had charts and uh, gave all kind of descriptions of, of, the, of the coming of Christ. And uh, certainly there are things like that. But there are some simple principles that we can have a foundation of understanding that Jesus is coming back. He is going to return, and he gives us some ideas about that. So 10 principles. We'll look at them quickly. The first one is that uh, the first second coming principle from Jesus is only God knows when Christ will return. Only God knows when Christ will return. There was a minister, a Roman clergyman uh, in the third century that uh, calculated that Jesus would come back in A.D. 500. He predicted that on the basis of the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Christ did not return in A.D. 500. Many people thought Jesus would certainly come back on January 1, 1000. Many Christians in Europe, you can predict the end of the world. Um, Jesus did not return on January 1, 1000. Uh, some people, highly uh, high group called Taborites. Uh, they believe that Christ was returning in 1415. Their thought was, if we can rid the earth of all the enemies of Christ, then Jesus would come back. And so they, uh, there was mass destruction among many people that were not believers. And it all worked out okay until the German army put a stop to it and basically eliminated the Taborites. Um, you know, the, Jesus did not return uh, in 1415. In the Middle Ages, one of the Catholic popes decided that the number 618, which was the year Islam was founded, he added that to 666, which is the number of the beast in the Bible, and got 1284 and was absolutely certain Jesus would return in 1284. Christ did not return. On February 14th, 19, excuse me, 1835, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Church of Latter-day Saints, he gathered those Mormon leaders together and predicted that Christ would return within 56 years. That by the time that he was uh, 85, 86 years old, that Christ would uh, return. Uh, he gave that prophecy. Unfortunately, he was involved in a... Uh, a, a, a riot of some sort that happened that took his life when he was 39. He never made it to 85, but Christ did not return when he predicted. William Miller is the founder of an end times movement called Millerism. And he predicted that the second coming would come sometime between 1843 and 1844. Uh, Christ did not return in 1844. Charles Russell 
1874, he's the founder of a group called the Bible Student Movement, which became Jehovah Witnesses and other organizations, predicted the rapture in 1910, followed by the end of the world and the invisible return of Christ in 1914. Christ did not return, or at least no one saw him return. 1986, a group called the Children of God predicted that Russia would defeat the United States and Israel, establishing a worldwide dictatorship, and that Christ would return in 1993. Christ did not return. Maybe most famous, 1988, Wizenut Edgar and his friend Colin Deal wrote two books basically describing 88 reasons why the rapture would happen in 1988. Four million people bought those books. Christ did not return. I could go on and on. It's still happening. I heard about a group in 19, 1998 was a really big year for the return of Jesus because 666 times 3 equals 1998. So they were sure that he was coming. Um, they, this group decided that there would be a UFO that would come down and would gather all the people that, that knew Christ. So they had all these prophecies. Just ridiculous, right? Uh, I'm not mocking. I think these people tried to have the right. But Christ said, only God knows. Uh, it still happens. I, you, can, you can still see it happening. You don't see as much as, not as, not as prevalent as these books about 88 reasons and all that. That hadn't happened much since then. Because it's embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing for Christianity. But there's still people that believe it. I got a, I got a thing the other day that basically said that they could tell you know, from the Bible, these things that were going to happen, that they didn't predict it, but they could have predicted 9-11. Uh, they didn't, but they could have, you know. Um, but they could have predicted the, the election of Donald Trump. And so they didn't say it out loud, but basically what they were saying was, we, we can tell from the scripture when Jesus is going to come back. They cannot. Even Jesus himself didn't know. I don't know if he knows now or not, uh, Bible doesn't tell us that, but when he was walking among us, he gave away some of those divine rights so that he could be fully human with us. He did not know. And he told us that one of the basic principles of the second coming is only God knows when it's going to happen. Jesus gives us some other principles. Second principle is that his delay will be long. His delay will be long. He's already told us he doesn't know for sure. Uh, nobody knows when it's going to come. But as you read these, these stories that he tells in the bottom of 24 all the way 20, through 25, uh, 25, he describes this bridegroom who has been delayed in his coming or the master who waited a long time to come and settle account. So Jesus has been talking about tribulation, persecution, opposition uh, to him. And now he's promising that as the proclamation of the gospel happens of his kingdom, that the delay is going to be long. Now, this delay does not mean that he's not coming. Um, you know, we recognize that scripture says, for God, a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. So his timing uh, is very 
uh, very different than ours. So we recognize that it's going to be a long wait. It already has been, hasn't it? Uh, nearly, you know, 2,000 years since Jesus uh, was born. So recognizing that we don't know when it's going to be, but it's already been a long time. Second, he said, uh, thirdly, uh, his return will be obvious. His return will be obvious. As you read these chapters, you recognize that he's talking about, the, he's talked about flashing lightning across the sky. He's talked about the great lights of things that will happen in creation like the sun will be darkened. The moon will give, not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. He's saying this darkness will be the sign of the son of man. He's told us that we're going to see him in great glory in such a way that all the tribes of the earth will see him. And he not only puts it in visual ways. He says you'll not only notice it by vision, but also by hearing. He talks about this trumpet call, a loud trumpet call that is going to proclaim uh, his coming. How loud would the trumpet be? I don't know. Certainly all the people that hear, maybe even so that the deaf will hear, uh, recognizing that uh, it's going to be loud, public, universal, personal, and visible. In other words, it will be absolutely Obvious. There will be no doubt that he's come. The delay will be long. Return will be obvious. His return will be sudden and unexpected. Sudden and unexpected. Um, Jesus says that just as it was in the days of Noah, when people were eating and drinking and marrying, in other words, everything was absolutely normal. You know, it'd be nice if the warning signs like they do for a tornado around here, that they give you a 10-minute warning. Jesus is coming back in 10 minutes. I can't find that anywhere. Sudden. You're going to be at work. You're going to be asleep. You're going to be uh, visiting with your children, your grandchildren. You're going to be just doing normal things that you do every day and every week of your life. And suddenly, Jesus is going to come. It's going to be unexpected. Nobody's going to know for sure uh, when that time is. So he reminds us this, the suddenness, the unexpectedness of his coming. Uh, he's going to come in. in so, you know, all that says to you, you better have your stuff together. Better have your heart, your soul right uh, with God because it's, gonna, uh, it's not going to happen. You know, it could happen during a church service, but I doubt it. I doubt it. It's just going to happen on a normal day. Jesus Christ is going to return. It's going to be sudden, unexpected. It's obvious. His return, number five, will be awesome. It's going to be awesome. He's talking about the, the glory of God and the angels that are going to gather, the, the, the raising of, I mean, the bringing together all those people that have died in Christ and those that are going to be raised from the grave. I want to see that, don't you? I just want to see that. Uh, you know, if I'm, it, it might be the, maybe the best thing would just to be as close as you can get to Jesus and be in the sky and then watch him raise up all those other people. It's just phenomenal. It's going to be amazing. Um, so he's recognizing that it's going to be sudden, unexpected. It's going to be awesome. Another principle. Jesus' return, he comes with judgment, and his judgment will be irreversible. Irreversible. You know, I hate to think about you being too late 
Because it'll be too late to rethink your life, to rethink your priorities. Maybe you're even in the service today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about things in your life today. Follow that. Respond to that. He wants you to know that his judgment will be irreversible. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says that you will have some kind of second chance to repent. He, he's working on me. Is he working on you? Man, he... Yeah, I, I've been a Christian almost 50 years, maybe 40-something, 40 45. 45 ought to be enough, don't you? I mean, really. Seems like I could get it right, and, you know, he, he'd finally say, zip, you're good. Just a Ziploc, you bag, and there you are. All good. Don't happen. You know, it seems like I still have uh, attitude problems occasionally. None of y'all look so holy sitting out there. Still working on me, straightening me out, and, uh, wanting my heart to be right, recognizing that I, I can get tired, I can get frustrated. You know, he's working on me. because You too. He, he's working on you because he wants you to be ready. He doesn't want me to let things linger in my heart. You know, I, I meet with people occasionally and, you know, n- not here, you know, people out there somewhere, you know. <laughs> we sit in a room and I think, you know, if Jesus came back right now, we, there would be a problem. You know, people that can't forgive. Man, when Jesus is talking to you about something, do something about it. He's giving you this advantage to help your heart uh, to be right because on a normal day, before you have a chance to straighten that, you're not going to be able to call. It, it, he's going to come. And he's going to show up. Make sure that your heart is right. That's the spirit of Matthew 25 that he's giving to us. He's reminding us. Uh, the judgment will be irreversible. Um, our, no, our hearts will be exposed. Our hearts will be, God, you know, God knows it all. God knows everything about you, everything about me. He knows exactly what's happening in me. There's nothing hidden from him. Uh, the, spirit, the, the Bible says it's all laid bare before him. Well, that's how it's going to be. Everything will be out in the open. Everything will be exposed. There will be a judgment, and I, I need to be ready. Uh, you need to be ready, recognizing uh, similar to that irreversible judgment. It's going to be a, an exposing. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want me to live in resistance. I teach you this all the time here. Don't, don't resist him. You know, you came to church this morning. Why resist God? I mean, why'd you come here if you're going to hold back against him? If he speaks to you, do something about it. Forgive them. Tell the truth. Let go of that habit. Change your ways about that. Even if, you know, you're thinking, even if you think it's all okay, if the spirit of God is bringing that to your attention, that means you need to do something about that. He exposes our heart. You look pretty good today. Most of you are smiling. Uh, you all dress nice and look good. You know, we all come in and uh, looking good. But he knows the truth. He knows exactly what's going on in my heart. He exposes my heart. Number eight, uh, our sentence may be surprising. Our sentence may, when you read these stories that he tells here, you notice how these people that got a, a judging response from, from God were surprised that it happened to them. It reminds me in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in Matthew 7, we saw where near the end of that, he was talking to them, people that were saying, Lord, Lord, 
And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, haven't, haven't you met people like that? I've heard uh, the baptism the other night was so awesome. A baptism um, uh, quite a while back, a friend of mine was being baptized. He didn't come to the church um, for a long, long time. I had talked to him and um, he, he was going to another church over there and he started coming and he was with me for a while and he said, I need to be baptized. And I said, I thought you were already baptized. He said, nope, never got baptized. I said, what you been doing? He said, well, I've been going to this other church over here and they, I said, why didn't you come here? He said, because you make me accountable. And I didn't want to be accountable. I said, that's true. So he's over there and he said, I'm on every committee and I did all this other stuff. He said, I just realized one day that I really didn't know Christ. See, that's, that's a troublesome spot to go through the motions, but not really know that your heart is ready for Christ. So he stood up in the baptism and said, I'm not living that way anymore. I was faking it all that time, but now I have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Praise God uh, for that. That's what he's talking about right here, that some, some people might be surprised or even shocked by the, uh, the, what Christ says to them uh, in that moment. Um, I noticed that one of the principles of the second coming is that our lives stand alone. You know, uh, my wife is not going to get me in. My grandmother, uh, some holy person, some pastor that I have, something that I did years ago, those things are not going to get me in. Do you notice what it said? Two were standing in the field. One was taken, one was left. It didn't really matter who they were working with, where they were living, who they were involved with. It didn't matter in that moment because everybody was judged on their own heart. But you have, we have to really be careful about this, don't we? That it's, it's not, it's not so, we're not getting on anybody else's coattails. You, I just really encourage you, make a decision for Christ, your own personal decision for him. Because that's the only decision that will matter to you when Jesus comes back, recognizing that we stand alone. And finally, the whole point of 24 and 25 is we must be prepared. Uh, we must uh, be ready. That's the whole point. We must be prepared because our lives and our eternities are at stake. Um, this text is not only about be ready today, but recognizing what's going to happen 10,000 years from now. What could be more important uh, than that? So he gives us these principles uh, that we can stand on. So there's no chart, but no, 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 no speculation about it. Just the basic truths of what he says uh, are the foundation of his second coming. Now, these stories that he gives us takes us not only from uh, things that we can think about related to principles, but penetrating questions that come up from these, from these different parables. Notice questions like, Am I keeping watch for Christ? Um, you know, when you recognize that Jesus is coming unexpectedly, the only way to fully be ready to have your heart ready is to have an anticipation uh, that he's coming. The, the imagery is sort of like this. The imagery is that if you know the thief is coming to your house, that you would stay awake and keep watch and probably have something loaded in your hand uh, to take care of that. If you knew that he was coming, then you'd be prepared. So it is with Jesus' return uh, in a practical way. What does it mean to, to watch for Christ? How about a real-life illustration? All right. Um, my my uh, son-in-law 
His name is Josh. And they are expecting a child. Just found out. So excited about that. So I'm telling you, the due date is January the 31st. January is going to be miserable for that boy. <laughs> right? That's, that's how it is. You know, and I'm, I, I remember it. I was, um, Reagan and Bethany were here with their little baby this morning. I was talking to him about that. Um, you know, when you, when you start getting close, you don't know when it's going to be. Their due date was August the 10th, and she had it on August the 18th. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, you try to live your life normally, but there's no normal to it. You know, you don't go anywhere without your phone. Uh, you can, you're trying to work and do all the things that you normally do, but you can't forget about it. It's on your mind all the time. And then she's got the kicking and then she's got the, you know, she's not feeling good and wondering, is this the time? Is this it? And, you know, you try to have your bags packed and you're just nervous and, uh, because, because you're anticipating this coming. Somebody that you've never seen, but that you love with all your heart is coming. This little child. And you have such anticipation, such waiting, such joy. You get it? Somebody that you've never seen is coming. He's coming back. Somebody that you love is returning. And you got to have that same little anticipation. You know, you go about your work. You know, we just don't, you know, there have been people that decided they were just going to sit at home and wait for 1988 or whatever the date was and all that to show up. We don't do that. You know, we're not just sitting around just waiting and thinking God's going to, you know, Christ is going to come this week. We just keep working. We just keep building the kingdom. We just keep taking care of ourselves and each other and building the kingdom of God. We stay, but in the back of our hearts and our mind, he's coming. Could be today. Could be this week. Might not be in your lifetime, but there's this anticipation that Jesus is coming. Am I keeping watch for the return of Christ? That, that illustration helps me, right? Because we, a lot, of, a lot of people, we felt that, uh, that anticipation and that waiting. Uh, second question. First question, am I keeping faithful watch? Secondly, am I faithfully following? Am I faithfully following Christ. Um, throughout these scriptures, we see this faithful servant that he talks about, the, uh, the one that was anticipated. You had one that was waiting um, for, Christ, for the master to return, faithfully following him. Then you had another that virtually forgot that the master uh, was coming back. You know, resolve ourselves to not do anything which we would be afraid to do the last, last hour of our life or when we knew that Jesus was coming, faithfully watching and waiting uh, for him to come. How about you? How would you live your life differently today if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight? Will you be found waiting and walking in obedience to him? Will you be found loving your neighbor, ignoring uh, your spouse, or uh, giving of your... Will you be holding on to that same sin? Will you be found uh, involved in actions or thoughts or had attitudes that would not make sense if you knew that he was coming in this hour? Am I faithfully following Jesus Christ? Number three, third question. Am I trusting... My trusting in Jesus Christ. 
again, you know, we can kind of get caught up in these stories right here, but he's talking about these bridesmaids at the wedding. Now, we don't know all the details here, but the bride, she isn't even mentioned, and the bridesmaids uh, were encouraged to be ready. And the only thing that separates one group from the other is the uh, that five of them were prepared with oil for their lamps and five were not prepared, unprepared. The five that were unprepared were left out of the wedding feast altogether. The groom denied them saying, I assure you, I do not know you. Powerful words. I mean, this parable speaks to people who are not prepared to persevere, to be faithful to Christ. You know, it's so easy to get busy. I mean, we're busy all the time. We have responsibilities. I meet retired people. A few of you in here. Retired people, you're busier than you've ever been. All kind of, and I'm not knocking all that. I'm glad you have stuff to do. But we can't get so busy that we forget about Christ. Can't forget that he's going he's gonna to return. He's encouraged. Am I trusting in Christ? Am I believing that he's going to help? Now, he goes on a little further and he asks, Are, am, am I Am I using, am I serving with the gifts that I've been given? So he not only tells about the bridesmaids who weren't ready, he tells about the parable of the talents. You know what the parable of the talents are? That Jesus is going to return and he's going to ask you how you used what he gave you. Because you know he owns it all. I know it might have your name on the title, but it's his. Uh, might have your name on a mortgage or deed but everything belongs to Jesus. And he asked us, in light of his coming, how have you used what you've been given? That's what the parable of the towel. It's got all kind of other little nuances to it. I get that. But the bottom line is, with Jesus coming back, how do I use what he's, been, what he's given to me? Uh, and how am I going to offer that uh, to others that are around? So he's asking me these questions about my faithfulness, my trust in him, am I using what he's given me? Uh, you know, the last, the last question is really, uh, am I serving Christians whom, whom God has put around me? I think it's a very interesting thought there. He's, he's a, you know, Jesus identifies himself with those that he's adopted into his family. Uh, you remember when... Jesus comes to Paul, he was Saul and became Paul on the Damascus road and he asked him a question and he says, why are you persecuting me? Very interesting question because I don't think he had any idea that he was persecuting Jesus, but he was talking about not taking care of his family. You know, it's so important to me that you make it to heaven. Huh? I love our church, but the most important thing is that you know Christ and that you make it to heaven. We have to support each other, right? That, that's what we're about here. We're not just kind of coming in here, walking in and going our way. We get to know each other. We seek to, to care for each other. This can be a big place sometimes, but we try to be, I always say, the smallest big church you've ever been in. So uh, that we stay connected together because it matters to me so much. I love Larry Howell. He's great. Love him hug him all the time. You know what? If Larry decided that he, um, he got his feelings hurt, it wouldn't happen to Larry, but you know, just play with me here. Larry would get his feelings hurt, decide he's not coming to church anymore. Uh, he got his feelings hurt so bad, he decided he was, he's really not going to think about Christ, not going to walk with Christ anymore. Um, you know what I need to do? I know where you live. Yep. 
be at his house, right? Knock on the door. What's going on, Larry? Because we have a responsibility. That, Jesus is asking, in light of the return of Christ, can I just have this relationship with somebody in, in Christ that we've loved each other and then walk away from that? You know, we've got to be really careful about that. It's a responsibility because Jesus is coming back. And these people that walk away from him, we got to make sure that we're paying attention to that. Now, a lot of times they don't want to talk to us. I get that. But we got to do everything we can to love them, to help them. Every, every one of us needs to make it to heaven. We cannot forget that Christ is coming back. So it's not, it's not good enough. Sorry, Larry. Had to, had to show up there. We have to talk about it. Uh, to make things, because you got to go to heaven. We got to go together, right? Praise God. That's good. That's what he's asking us. These, these stories are reminding us of our responsibility in light of the coming of Christ. He gave us these principles, penetrating questions, and then he ends with uh, two ultimate destinations. Uh, you know them. You know them very well already. Uh, he says you're going to go one place or the other. When I return, either you will uh, go to heaven, either heaven or hell. Heaven or hell. He's reminding us that we can have unhindered enjoyment and delight in the Father's love. A place prepared for those who commit their lives to Christ and a place of everlasting joy and satisfaction. I left that blank so you could write that word in there. Satisfaction that he offers to us. Um, that's a beautiful image of the servants of God entering into the joy of their master. You notice they had a, uh, a wedding feast or servants that were gathering with their master. Um, we, we long uh, for that day. Uh, we long for the coming of Christ. Uh, we decide our destination, either heaven or hell. You know, every person will either experience the glorious reward of heaven or hell as their destination. Uh, hell is the opposite of the rewards and the blessing that God offers to us. It speaks about total separation from the Father's love, a place prepared for demons filled with unquenchable agony and never-ending suffering. You know, if you're, if you're honest about this whole thing, it's just amazing uh, what he has offered to us. Aren't you thankful that he told us he was coming back? We are grateful for the clarity that he offered to us, reminding us that he has given himself uh, for us. He says in the, the end of 25 there, he starts saying this same phrase over and over again. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Now you'll be given responsibility for even more. You have been faithful to me. Enter into the joy of your master. So I think there's, there's two things you can hear. You can hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Or you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful. I could spend the next hour, you know, going all around to all of you. So you might need to help me. So why don't you uh, speak to somebody and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Speak to somebody like that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well, well done, Terry. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus wants you to hear. That's what gets your heart ready to receive him and to recognize that he is coming back. You don't want to miss that. You can't miss uh, his return, his coming. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the return of Jesus. Uh, we're celebrating that uh, uh, kind of the ending of this section where we are in Matthew. And we're doing that through uh, celebrating communion together. So I have some folks that are going to help us uh, uh, serve today. Uh, Reverend Barker is going to serve the table. So if you come and join us. While they're getting ready, uh, would you bow with me and let's pray for the bread and the juice that we partake today. Go right ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the celebration of this moment. I'm, I know it's kind of quiet in here, but my heart is enthusiastic, <laughs> celebrating the return of Jesus Christ. We know you're coming back. And so, Lord, we are doing what you taught us to do. We're remembering what this is all about. We're remembering your broken body and your shed blood and the salvation that you offered us through the cross. So today we're, we're going to partake of a piece of bread that we believe represents your broken body and juice that would remind us not only that you died, but that you're coming back again. You told us to remember what you did, but also that you were coming again. And so, Lord, we celebrate together around this table. We praise you together as we eat and drink in Jesus' name. They're going to serve us if you just hold it till we can partake together. Please serve us. Thank you. There is coming a day when the heart It's a great hymn, you know. It's a hymn that we got to keep alive, uh, reminding us that Jesus is coming back. Uh, the Bible talks about the day, and this song says, what a day that will be. Uh, so let's continue to sing it together right on the chorus right there. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. says there'll be no
about it now. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be. Think about it. When my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me Communion is a communion is Jesus genius, you know that. He said, I want I don't want you to ever forget that every time, you know, some some places take communion every week, and I know people that take communion every day. Um, at least once a month we try to take communion together, and it's your reminder. Um, you know, not just because I'm preaching on the second coming, but every time we gather with bread and the juice to remind us what Jesus did for us and that he's coming back. Uh, and we're prepared. We're readying ourselves. So let's stand together. He says, take bread, bread that represents uh, the broken body of Jesus. Well, hold on just for a second. Let's wait for these guys to join us. Thank you for serving us today. Thank you, Ray. So sacred. He died for you. This bread represents it. He says, think about it. Think about me. Think about my first coming. Think about my death and resurrection. And think about my second coming. So let's eat this bread and remember that Christ died for us. He said, this cup, this beautiful purple grape juice, so easy for it to remind us of the blood of Jesus, that he gave himself for us. And he says, you know, this was so important that I want you to ever forget. I gave my life for you. And I'm coming back to get you. Be ready. Be ready. Let's drink in remembrance that Christ gave himself for us. Now let's really celebrate it. Let's sing that chorus. Lift it up. Uh, what a day that will be. Amen. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Come on, let's sing one more time. Let's pick it up a little bit. Celebrate it. What a day that will be when 
my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day. 